You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hello. My name is Marshall Fritz. I'm with the Advocates for Self-Government, a tax-exempt educational organization headquartered in Fresno, California. The purpose of the Advocates is to present the freedom philosophy honestly and persuasively so that opinion leaders can encounter these ideas, evaluate them, and when appropriate, embrace the ideals of self-government. To achieve this purpose, we teach communication and presentation skills to those people who are most deeply committed to the freedom philosophy, the libertarians. The presentation you are about to hear is part of the Communicator Workshop presented to 51 libertarians at the Advocates' third annual summit conference held in Los Angeles, November 13, 14, and 15, 1987. This workshop was designed and presented by David Brigland, Philip Mitchell, and Marshall Fritz. It is copyrighted. Should you wish to make copies as personal gifts for your friends, you hereby have the permission of the authors. For commercial use, please write to us at 5533 East Swift, Fresno, California, 93727. And now, let's go to the live recording at the beautiful Pacifica Hotel. And this presentation is how to... Somebody get the schedule. How to be interviewed on uh, newspaper and in radio. Let me introduce... Mr. David Berglund. How do you do? How do you do? What we could call this segment would be Waltzing with Walter or Walters. And by Walter or Walters, I mean Walter Cronkite or Barbara Walters. Because we're really talking about a it-takes-two-to-tango situation. I guess we moved from the waltz to the tango, but that's okay. Excuse me? Wrong metaphor. Well, <clears throat> when I was younger, I used to boogie all night long, so it kind of came to mind. It is a situation, if you're being interviewed, of course, then you are dealing with one other human being in a one-on-one sort of a situation. Yeah, most of the time. Sometimes it's more than one, but most of the time it's a one-on-one thing. And you have a, an in, a, a set of interactions Well, think of it like dancing. Just like you can learn how to dance and then lead your partner in the proper direction. You can learn the skills of being an interviewee and lead the interviewer and the interview to your goals. So here we are, back again, to that magic word, objective. When you're going to be interviewed, The idea is to know what you want to accomplish, what you want the results to be as a result of going through this process, and to develop the skills so that you can, in fact, bring out the results or reach the results that you want to reach. Now, what I'm going to do is turn this over to Marshall because he's got some interesting anecdotes about his experiences as an interviewee. We are going to first talk about print interviews, this is uh, newspapers, perhaps magazines, and then we'll go into the radio type of interview. We're not going to go on to television because I think uh, it's, uh, it's the case that when you are being interviewed, we probably, most of us probably aren't yet to the point where we're going to wind up on television shows. But the, the media or the electronic media type of interview is quite similar 
whether it's radio or television. So let me see if I can persuade Marshall to put aside his other administrative duties for a moment and get him up here to talk about his experiences in newspaper interviews. Well, there we were, three of us driving towards the St. Louis Post. And I said to my uh, partners in this thing, let's uh, clarify what we're going to do. What is our objective here? And then how are we about to, to handle it? Because this is a sales call. I mean, they thought it was an interview. They thought the St. Louis Post was going to be interviewing me because I was a traveling libertarian in St. Louis. But I said, this is a sales call. And one of the things that we learned back in the good old days in IBM was to clarify your objectives. That way, when you left, you'd know if you'd done something. And we also talked about who is the pilot of the plane in a sales call. So, and, and then I always, when we do find out who the pilot is, we all agree that the co-pilots won't grab the yoke away, unless the man maybe has a heart attack. But less than that, the co-pilot does not take the, the uh, reins away the, uh, yeah, from, the, uh, from the pilot. Can we agree to that? Because if we can't, then we shouldn't go in there together, should we? Well, of course, people always agree. It's hard for them not to do it sometimes, but they agree. We have a contract. What was our purpose? Who was our audience? Well, uh, pardon? The readers? Perhaps. I don't think so. Maybe at the time of the surge, the readers are the audience. George is right. The reporter is the audience. He is the prospect. He is the person. And my whole purpose in being in a newspaper interview is to get that reporter to take one step closer to becoming a libertarian. And probably the step I need to get him to take is curiosity because maybe our ideas can get people closer to solving problems he wants to see solved. So I need to find out what problems he wants to see solved. So an interview by a reporter on Marshall Fritz is vastly different from anybody else that he gets to interview because anybody else who's you know coming to town and wants a big crowd tonight or tomorrow night, whenever, wants as much coverage and everything as possible, so he answers all the questions and everything, right? But after a few minutes, I'm saying, well, tell him, is living good? Uh, you know, what do you think about it? Have you ever thought about that particular problem? And I'll, not that we're dealing with a microphone, but I'll... I'll just kind of cock my head and ask the reporter back, um, you know, what does he ever think on the matter? And those guys are starving, and gals are starving to tell somebody. Right? they all they got to do all this good listening stuff. It's almost unfair <laughs> to ask them what their thoughts are. Because if you do it, and I am sincere, I really do care. It's not just some sort of a ploy. It's very important to me to find out what they're interested in, what their thoughts are, their background on it. That's an excellent question on environmentalism, and I go ahead and say answer it, or give a 30-second answer, and say, and how did you first get interested in, in, in protecting the environment? And yet, how? The question starts with a how. You want a question that you can usually get somebody talking with, is how did you first get, whatever it is, interested in moving to Fresno, started in the computer business, uh, you know, whatever it happens to be, how did you first get interested in medicine? That's a long story, is usually how they start it. But I'm willing to tell it. <laughs> is the unspoken next sense. So, if you want a little technique -y thing, how did you get started in? What is Laura taking a picture of? As much as I can. <laughs> as much as she can, she said. Yes. When? Did you say when? 1941. <laughs> 
1981. How did you first get interested? How, 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 how? So the, in my opinion, the audience is the interviewer. I had one, uh, Mary Margaret. Gee, anybody from Colorado and half the rest of the people in the world are know uh, Mary Margaret up there in uh, Fort Collins, the lady who says, why don't you all move to Fort Collins because I'd like to have 10,000 libertarian neighbors or something. I, maybe it has a slightly different appeal, but that's part of it. Mary Margaret took me out to be interviewed by the local um, Tri-County uh, Daily um, Star Herald Togblot, and uh, we met for breakfast with the reporter at 7.30, and, and at 10 minutes of 9, he said, holy mackerel, I, I don't have any information. Um, tell me how to spell your name. Uh, wh when were you born? We'd gone for an hour and 20 minutes with him doing 50 to 60% of the talking, which is what it should be. I wish you'd do in an interview. In my opinion, I should be doing about. In fact, the, the structure that I go into there with, if I have a partner, is the person that we're making the sales call on does 65% of the talking. I do 30 and you do 5. And 5, as my co-pilot, means that's not zero. You're not just a chauffeur and a bump on a log. You've got to show this person that you've got something, too. And 5 is not 10. All right. Anybody that's been on, out there in the territory with me knows that we go through this as we go up there and we get our roles straight and who's going to do what, what our objective is. And then so it's 60, 65 percent, if I can get that guy to do that much talking. And he just thinks I'm a great person to interview, except in the last couple of minutes when he finds out that he doesn't know a whole lot. And I say, well, here, I wrote this and I wrote this and here's something. And, and you can just use anything in there as a quote. Now is he going to read all the literature? <laughs> He's got it to write the article. David does the, David does the same thing. He was amazed how often, you know. And Then Mr. Berglund said, a sentence out of one of his brochures. <laughs> right, David. And how do you get a person to go one step closer? Find out what they're interested in. And find out how they see it. Uh, Durand it more than once, probably, about how you want to solve problem X also. And, you know, you used to think that uh, um, stomping on people and putting them in cages was a good idea. You used to say, gee, anybody that doesn't agree with me on this ought to go to jail. And, uh, but you found a way that's uh, more honest and gets the job done better. And, you, you know, you have a discussion. So, personally, my opinion, that's the way to be interviewed with a uh, newspaper. Now, we hand it back over to David Berglund. I think we do. I'm sure, sure I'll do. take it. You sure I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I don't need it. That's it. Okay. Think about the people who are in the journalism business, the people who are doing the interviewing. Now, one thing that we always want to do is remember, you know, know who your audience is, and you decided that, yeah, the, the interviewer, the reporter, who's doing the, the job here is your audience. What temperament do you suppose most reporters are? Nervous. Nervous temperament. <laughs> Deadline. What color? What color? Blue. They're blue. I told you this once. Do I have to repeat everything? Yes. Just because it was last Friday and draw you a picture? All the browns and oranges. Yeah, draw me a picture. <laughs> most writers are blues. This tells me something very, it's very interesting as we watch this develop. My experience in being interviewed as a, as a candidate and a spokesman for the Libertarian Party 
going around to the, all of the newspapers, the kinds of questions that I get very frequently, or most frequently, are questions the kinds of things that blues are interested in. Now, Marshall has spent a lot of time speaking to service clerks. So, so the kinds of questions that he gets most familiar with are the kind of questions that are asked by Browns, of course. So his and my experience in dealing with questions that we get hit with is somewhat different. Now, they are not only blues, which helps you a lot, just knowing that that's a good bet going in there, and then you can confirm that fairly quickly when you have a short bit of the, uh, of the discussion with them. But they're also just plain folks doing a job. And they have deadlines to meet, and they have to sit down at their word processes and go tippity-tap, and they have so much time to do the interview. So why not make it as easy as possible for them to do their job and to do it in a way that gives you the result that you want. During the campaign in 84, we had very limited resources. I made an early decision about a campaign objective, and that was to educate journalists. So we prepared a press packet that was different than the usual political press packet. It was the kind of thing that I had a lot of foundational information, things that they could use, things they could put in the file to keep there on libertarianism and the Libertarian Party for future reference because all newspapers and media outlets do that. They keep files on these different organizations and people. So what you want to do is put together a bunch of stuff that's going to make it easy for them to do the job. And when you are being interviewed with them, or when they're doing the interview, make it easy for them to do the job. One of the things I found is real easy to do. If you want to be quoted and have good quotes, know what you want to say on the various topics. Remember what I told you about uh, <clears throat> that's doing the whole 30-second answer kind of bit, but uh, differently for a newspaper interview because they're not going to quote a whole 30-second thing. They're going to quote a sentence or two. Well, you have some quotable things, and then when you want them... If you have in mind the quote from you that you want them to have, want to have wind up in the story... Say it slowly, because they're writing it. And if you go, blah, 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 then they just make a quick note, and later on they try to remember exactly what you said, and it comes out wrong. That doesn't suit your objectives. If this is an important thing to say and to have reported, then say it in a way that they will get it. And leave them with printed material from which they can Lift quotes. I, Marshall mentioned this. I don't know how many times newspaper stories came out which said, uh, Mr. Ber on the question of X, Mr. Berglund said, and they just lifted a quote out of my um, the printed material. One of the things we put in that press kit in 84 was a one-sheet thing called Libertarianism in One Lesson. I later used that as a title to a book. It was one sheet that basically laid out in a single space, uh, three or four paragraphs, a short statement about libertarianism. And many, many times, quotations were lifted from that thing. So the point that I'm trying to make to you simply is, think about these people, one, in terms of temperament, so that you can get on to relating to those values, the blue kinds of values, that's probably the best bet, and you can correct that with as you deal with them. 
and two, make it real easy for them to do the job that they're going to do in order to lead them through the dance so that you, know, you wind up in the position that you want to wind up. And it's not that difficult. You think about it. What does a reporter, what's the job involved? What's the result that you want? Make it easy for them to finish their job and give you the result that you want. It's really, the, it's rather uh, a simple proposition. Now, recapping, newspaper, print, interviews, your objective is to bring that reporter along. That's another one of those long-term investments. You want to bring them along as far as you can. You want them to get to know you as a representative of libertarianism. You are a physical representative of that. You want to make our movement, you want to make our information, you want to make our organizations credible and appealing for future interviews as well. You want to raise that curiosity level so that they want to know more and more and more and you keep that contact. You also want to take that information about that particular reporter and put it in your database because that's going to be your media list. You can always get back. You can always pass that around to other libertarians and say, this is a good guy or look out for this one. He's hostile. You want to get that information. And you want to make it easy for them to do their job because they're going to appreciate that too. If you make it easy for them to do their job, that's probably half the battle in them saying, hey, those libertarians are okay folks. And they're sharp. They know what's up. I don't know how many times I have been told by interviewers when we got through that, gee, this was, that's, that was really a refreshing surprise. The interviewing political candidates, politicians, is sort of the latrine duty of journalism. They don't really, they really don't enjoy it, but they do enjoy libertarians. And I've seen it in articles, in print. The libertarians always have you know, intelligent, well-informed, articulate spokespersons. Too bad they don't get more votes. But let's build on the credibility that the libertarian representatives have already established for us. And we can do that if we keep our objectives in mind and make the job easy for those guys. Okay. <clears throat> now everybody's ready to have their interview with the newspapers. Now let's just say that you're visiting in some location and one of the advanced persons for the advocates has set up a radio interview for you. And so now you are going to have the opportunity to be on a radio talk show. That's familiar format, very, very familiar. You're going to have an opportunity to be on a radio talk show. And there are a whole lot of people going to be listening to that radio. They're going to be hearing the first libertarian they ever heard. And so the future of freedom in America and the world depends upon you doing a good job. Are you ready for this? <laughs> so what's the idea? What should we be driving at? Sort of the objective and the, the objective that you want going into this thing and the theme, because it's a different kind of format. 
people are going to be listening to you. With the newspapers, if the story gets out, that's not as important as dealing with the journalist, that specific story. But on the radio, people are going to be listening as it's going on. The idea we should have in mind is that the people who hear us are going to, the result that we want is they're going to say, those libertarians seem to be fairly reasonable types of folks with some good ideas. I don't agree with them all, but they're not too strange, and some of that stuff is worth looking into further. seems to me that that's what we want to try to accomplish with radio interviews. Now, I think, uh, Marshall, you want to do some discussion on some of the specifics I think you're ab right. about doing these radio interviews, and right. you and I may probably just go back and forth and a toss idea. a number of ideas back. Sure, you've got to give me some sort of clue as to when. <laughs> <clears throat> well, Mr. Fritz, uh, perhaps one of the first things you could do in this interview that we're conducting here is tell me why you're here. Why don't you grab a microphone <laughs> and say a few words. I'm here to find out how many of us have ever been on a talk show in a radio. Show of hands. One, two, three, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Wow, that surprised me. Thank you. How many of us who weren't, that's almost half the audience there for Radio Land. How many of us who haven't been on a talk show would like to someday when we felt comfortable about it and good about it and knew we could do a good job? How many of us would like to? May I see a show of hands? The other 17. <laughs> the other half of the audience. Okay. As you know, with the Advocates for Self-Government, we do sort of two steps. The Advocate two-step is one, figure out how to do something, and then the second part is figure out how to teach other peoples to do it. Because if all we do is develop, you know, Marshall Fritz, a uh, go-everywhere-talk-all-the-time, we have one person. Well, uh, the Christians don't get along with one Billy Graham. they got all kinds of people out there, you know, spreading uh, good news. And, uh, and we've got some very good news with libertarianism. Maybe we shouldn't be uh, uh, trying to have a one-man band. At least I'm not. That's not my approach. So, but I've never been able to figure out until a few weeks ago how to have a, a if you will, a fluff talk show that would be easy to teach. Talk show is one of the toughest formats. I can remember having been in Fresno on a talk show, I don't know, probably a couple of dozen times, then I got a chance to be on the Jim Eason show up in San Francisco, and uh, I had a number of things scheduled, so I was in town, it was going to be easy, but I remember driving to San Francisco, and the palpitations and the anxiety and everything, and it was going to be, you know, ten times as many people as had ever listened to me in Fresno. And I was having the same kind of fear that a person has that's been used to swimming in water that's ten feet deep when they swim in the ocean, and it's a thousand feet deep. And the swimming isn't really much different. But for some people, there is the thought I could drown easier because I could go down a thousand feet instead of just ten. <laughs> so it's scarier. And that's the way it is on a talk show. In fact, after you get to that metaphor, you say, wait a minute, I'm really only talking to one person. You know, the host, Bob Welsh. And it's just between him and me. And there's a few eavesdroppers, or now I'm talking to somebody else, a third person who's called in, and Budinsky here, and we start talking, and, uh, you know, that's fine too. So if you think of it, as talking to one or two people at a time, you find that it becomes a whole lot easier. But still, it's kind of terrifying. Because after the first question or two, what is the inevitable question? What is libertarianism? Um, then you have uh, lots of other questions, and you don't know what's coming out. So finally, we fi figured out, a, and accidentally, really, a, um, 
formula talk show. And I did something on, a, on Fresno that I thought would work with other people. And uh, so I sent a tape recording up to someone. I was talking to this guy, and, and he said, oh, that sounds like fun. And I said, well, uh, I'll send you the tape. He says, good, I'll get the th And then he called me back. You mailed that? I got the, um, the uh, uh, talk show. I'm on talk show Tuesday night. <laughs> this was like Thursday or something. So uh, let's have Dave Dawson from Casper, Wyoming, come up here and tell us what happened, David. By the way, out there in Radio Land, this is not just any Dave Dawson from Casper, Wyoming. <laughs> this is the day advocate of the year, Dave Dawson. Another round of applause of appreciation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, what happened? We had a good time. As, as I've been on the, the, I had been on the talk show before. Uh, matter of fact, Marshall had been on that same talk show when when he came through, Casper, and uh, fortunately the uh, host is a good friend of mine. I go to church with him, uh, but he had a, he had a kind of surprise coming a little bit later in the in the thing. But uh, <clears throat> Marshall did send me the tape and and I got it and I had a chance to. I was going out of town somewhere and I had a chance to listen to it as I. Uh, went out of town. This was the day of the talk show that I got it, and uh, never wait till the last minute. You know, an hour. Do always do it an hour in advance, right? But uh, I listened to the to the thing up and back wherever I was going, and and uh, I arrived back in maybe two or three hours before we were supposed to start the show at nine o'clock, and so I dropped the tape off to Laryl, uh, who was the host at the station and said, here it is, you've listened to it, I've already listened to it, this will give you kind of an idea of how this will probably come down. And uh, so he was, when I got back at 9 o'clock, he was, he was really hyped about it because it was, uh, it was a good, uh, good tape and he was really looking forward to the thing. So <clears throat> we got into it and, and uh, developed it is really kind of fun feeling the way through and, and imagining how you could the people out there listening could be getting enough information to uh, to actually draw out the Nolan chart and test themselves and it's basically helpful and I'm, you'll probably talk about this a little bit more but uh, <clears throat> it's especially helpful that the, the host is taking it right along too Tell them the basic mechanics, they don't okay okay the uh, the objective was to to explain a little bit about the Nolan chart and enough so that the, the people out there in Radio Land could understand what we were going to do and okay what are we yes okay <laughs> okay but but for, no wait a minute before we gave the quiz go uh, you got to draw the thing out, okay? And that that seemed like a pretty formidable thing to me because uh, here I am; they can't see what I'm doing, and uh, they've got to draw this thing out that they may have never even imagined existed. So it was helpful that uh, the host at the same time was was drawing it out. And and if I my instructions weren't clear enough for the people out in Radio Land, they weren't clear enough for him either, and he'd screw up. And and uh, I was able to see then that uh, that I hadn't explained it well enough. But anyway, after you get it all drawn out, <clears throat> uh, ask the questions, and the, and the, uh, the host took the test right along 
with the people out in, in, in the audience. And it was so much fun because this, this particular host, like I said, this was a, a Christian radio talk show, and he kind of uh, had his conservative badge on. Now, I, you know, I've known him for quite a while, and I've beat him up for quite some time with these ideas of liberty, and uh, he has succumbed to a certain degree, but he still faithfully wore his conservative badge because he just was absolutely certain that he was a conservative. As as we begin closer, you can see him shaking his head, and you know, I don't I don't believe this is happening. It wound up <clears throat> that he scored seventy percent and ninety percent, and actually had to when we drew it all out on on the chart, actually had to draw himself up into the libertarian quadrant, and just went on and on and on. I can't believe this. I'm, I'm not a libertarian. He said, I don't know how this happened. That you didn't, you know. But it was, <laughs> It was really a lot of fun. Just embarrassed him to death that he had been discovered to be a, a libertarian. But it, above all, it was just a, a, a real good time. Just really had a lot of fun doing it. And I just encourage anybody who has the slightest inclination to, to do it. It's a lot of fun. This is the end of side one. Please turn your tape over. Do not fast forward. Inclination to to do it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I was learning something there because apparently David does it differently than I do. What I do is give the first five questions one at a time and they uh, take the questions and the, and the uh, host is, is probably answering the question. He may or may not answer on the air. And then um, get, we can score it. It's, we, get the, we add up the first five and then we do the second five and then we teach them how to draw the Nolan chart, uh, self-government chart. And did you do it that way too? Okay, you give them the quiz first because that's more interesting. And if you start with the with the uh, chart, it'd be a little bit uh, zany. Uh, but if you start with the quiz, then they're curious about how to score it, and you say, "Here's how you score it: where you fit on the self-government chart." And you draw the thing. It's not hard. Uh, you listen to the tape; you've got it. Yes, Linda. This all goes back to what we were saying yesterday about a libertarian is something you probably already are. You got it. <laughs> well said. Okay, the audience is a little bit different with a talk show. You want to work with the talk show host a little bit, but is a talk show host in reflective mode or, mode or reactive mode, reactive thinking? Which is it? Reactive. So is it really a good time for him to think and ponder your ideas at all and everything? No. So you're not, you don't go as far, or you don't really you know, make as much headway with a talk show host as you can with a newspaper man where there's a, there's a more casual uh, kind of an environment. Uh, so you are talking to the real audience out there. Yes, Kerry Welsh, Johannesburg. A talk show also has a talk show also has an older audience usually. Okay. I I didn't know that. Thank you. KBC. It's right over the hill from here. So what have we done? What we've done, once again, what we're trying to do is to figure out how to develop better ways for libertarians to get people to, at this level, encounter our ideas and then find out how to teach or train libertarians to do that. You know, we've got to break the ice and then teach you how to do it at the same time, or, you know, next. And you 
can order from the advocates the tape that I sent up to, uh, to uh, Dave. Just ask for tape of Marshall Fritz doing the uh, Nolan Chart quiz on the radio. And uh, I think it's number 50, but I'm not sure right now. I think it's A50 is the serial number. Okay, we've talked about how to be interviewed in newspaper and what your purpose is and what, what my purpose is and uh, how to accomplish that. And now, in terms of radio, talking about um, how to, to uh, do a formula kind of a show that's maybe more easy than just going on there and, and answering questions. And, and I'm real tired and about ready to hand the microphone over to you, David Brigland. Okay, so you, you get ready so it's not abrupt, okay? And I think to wrap up this session, we need to listen to David Berglund. <laughs> I'm going to uh, probably get Marshall back involved in this because I think we should bounce a few ideas back and forth about some, some handy hints on what you're doing when you're on radio show, and you want to make it easy for the radio interviewer, you want to make it easy for you. Oh, that's the one I remembered and I forgot, and then I was right hey, in the middle of the sentence and I forgot I how to do that. You know, Tell us about that. You want to just sit down and type up on a little old page, or even scribble down on a little old envelope, about five or six or seven facts that the radio talk show host can have in front of you. It includes your name, uh, the city that you live in, maybe one sentence about your family, I mean one, two, two or three words. Maybe two or three words on your education. Maybe uh, two or three words of your uh, libertarian affiliations. Um, maybe uh, two or three uh, subjects that you're particularly interested in. You may draw a line across the page and then subjects of particular interest, right? And whatever the issues are that you find uh, that you've done the most background you're interested in. And just have that and when you walk in. Oh, and the other handy hint, Eloise, is this one. You write down on your workbook, or you're not going to lose it, your, or field book or notepad, whatever you carry, the name of the talk show host, the name of his show, if it's, you know, Nightline or whatever it happens to be, the call letters of the station, the city that you're in, if you're moving at all, but you write all that down and have it right in front of you, and you keep a pen handy. Uh, so when they call in and say, this is Judy and that sort of a thing, you write the person's name down, and you're taking little notes while they're talking because it's possible to white out. You know, just a few minutes ago, I was saying something, and I had to get over here and look at Dave Dawson's name tag to say, and as you just heard from Dave Dawson, because I had a little white out there, and the name wasn't there. And if you have that stuff written down, if, you're, if, the, if I'm on the air and David Berglund and I are be talking together, and I know David pretty well, I've got David Berglund's name written in my book where I can see it, because I don't want to go, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Give me your name again. <laughs> Give me your name, yeah, the guy sitting next to me here. Kind of a thing. So that's another handy hint, is to give the thing to the uh, talk show host, and you'll just see him probably walk two minutes before the show. He'll uh, walk in. You want coffee? Okay, we're going to be on in about two minutes. i got to do that. And then you uh, hand him the piece of paper. Says, oh, great, great, great. Hey, we've got with us David Berglund from Costa Mesa, California. And David has uh, been educated here, blah, blah, blah. And he just starts rattling off these sentences. He's probably an orange card. This is great. Oh, last minute, and he's just rescued. Yeah. Uh, don't forget to... Uh Right, and in fact, something that you can do that, that helps on this. So anyway, people said to me, Marshall, you're doing such and such. And you can use your name that way, and particularly if you think that he's forgotten or you didn't get the piece of paper to him and that sort of thing, you can sometimes see the guy dying over there. Help him out. You want to be 
fun and easy and have him uh, call you back you know, for another uh, appearance. Thank you. And ask for a response. David uh, asked for a response one time. He might even tell you about it. I might. <laughs> we could be overtime. <laughs> Even if you told him about it, I'd probably tell him again. Yeah, that's true. The, uh, <laughs> Watch. He got 117 responses in Phoenix on the air one time, or maybe it was Tucson. One of the reasons that you're going on this program, or I think most of the time, one of your purposes for doing this is to make contact with those people out there, get them to encounter libertarianism, and get them to do something about it. So... Most of the time, under most circumstances, you should have the name of, your, of a local orga an organization, the organization that you represent, a local telephone number with someone right there to answer the phone number at that time. And also, if you can make an offer to the listeners that if they will call, they will get a goodie, then they will probably call. The situation that Marshall was making reference to uh, happened a while back in Phoenix. I did a radio interview show by telephone with a Phoenix radio station, and the local contact uh, called in and said, anybody who calls our local number, and they gave the number on the, on the phone, or on the radio, will get a free copy of my book. And they got 140 calls within the next couple of days. I don't know what they did all the time, they sent them books and, and followed up on it, and so they, they made that contact. Well, that's just an... Why not be very explicit about what you're going to do? Also, when you set things up with the interviewer, starting off, you might as well make things easy. You say, I want to... We have a local telephone number for our organization, and we'd like to give it over the air. They're always happy to do that. Never seen one who wasn't. And you write it down, you hand it to them, and they will remind you, well, do you guys, uh, is there, if someone wants to find out more about your organization or what you're doing, is there a number that the listeners can call? They love that. You make it easy on yourself, you make it easy on them. Now, one of the things about being on the radio is <clears throat> the real audience, in this case, it might be the interviewer, but maybe it isn't. But you certainly know that the people out there in radio land are your audience and your you're trying to do something with them to get a, get a result. You want to do the best job that you can, but they can't see you. So you have all of, you've been working busily, getting your 30-second answers to all of those common questions, right? And when the calls start coming in, guess what questions you're going to get? All the ones that we always get, so we ought to know that, we ought to have the list. And so you've worked on, the, on your 30-minute, or your 30-second answers. And you have them down the way you should, which we haven't mentioned yet, I use four by six cards, and I type them out because they fit easily on a four by six card. You can carry them around with you in practice. Now, you can also carry them into the radio studio and sit down there with your headphones and the microphone. You've got them all spread out there on the table in front of you, and when the question comes in, you read the damn thing. <laughs> and you practice it, and you have all your inflections down. It doesn't sound like you're reading, but boy, you're dynamite because though you got you have those answers honed down to the very best they can possibly be. And it just makes your performance much, much, more, much better, much easier on you, and much more effective. And remember, uh, there, there are a whole lot of things I can, I can keep going forever and ever, but think in terms of the audience 
that you want to get to and you want to influence. It isn't the person who asks you the question. It isn't necessarily the guy in the studio who's asking you the question, the interviewer, the, the host. And it isn't necessarily the guy on the phone or woman who's calling in and asking the question. The audience that you're concerned with are the people, all of the people who are listening, and particularly those who are concerned about the topic of the particular question. Oftentimes, the interviewer doesn't care that much about it. He just knows, well, that's an interesting question, and some people would be interested in that, so I better ask that question and get the information out. You always, whenever a question, most questions will give some indication of the temperament type, the color, of the kinds of people who would be interested in that subject and interested in your response. The way the question is put will give you some kind of a hint about that. But you're not trying to satisfy that particular questioner. You're trying to satisfy all the people who are interested in the topic of that, of that question. Don't get, fall into the trap of trying to persuade and turn some around, someone around over the air. That's real easy to keep. If you're not careful, you'll get trapped in there. Somebody will get on one subject, and you'll go back and forth and back and forth, and your mode will be that you're trying to get them to say, okay, okay, I agree, you're right. Now what you're doing, folks. Your objective should be to make the most progress you can with the most people. Think about the people. Whenever any given question comes up, you should be thinking, my audience, my objective, satisfy their values, make them know that I'm on their side and that libertarianism has something to offer to them. And some guy, there are always going to be some people who are going to say, well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. What is this guy doing on the radio? He doesn't know nothing. And you get that. <laughs> you can even have some fun with it. I had a woman in Tennessee on a call-in show, and she just was reading off the, the interviewer and telling me what a bad person I was, and it was awful for me to be on, on the radio, and finally she got through with this tirade, and the guy, the host, uh, turned it back over to me, he said, do you have any comment about that? I said, does this mean you're not going to vote for me? <laughs> and she laughed and said something sort of nice, like, gee, maybe I was a little rougher than I should have been. <laughs> and so it was, uh, you can't have... Uh, have some fun with that. Again, think in terms of you're going to go on a radio show. What are your objectives? Now, this this I didn't really know this as well uh, back a couple of few years ago as I do now. How important this is, but it came. I had an experience that really came to me. Now, this happened to be a television interview, but the same principles apply. This was the Crossfire show. Comes out on cable. Anybody ever see that? Uh, these yo-yos in Washington. Oh, yeah, it was Tom Braden and Buchanan, Pat Buchanan at the time. And they're a liberal and a conservative, and they get whoever's in the middle. And usually, naturally, they're a liberal and a conservative, so whoever they have in the middle is a liberal or conservative, and so it's always two against one. You know, one of the interviewers is on the side of the interviewee against the other guy. Well, in my case, being a libertarian, they were both against me. And I knew a little bit about the show, and I was warned several times when I got to the studio... It was really funny. Everybody kept, who worked there kept coming up like, do you know what this show is like? And sort of getting me, you know, softening me up or warning me that, boy, they're going to really get all over you. And I, 
got over in the corner. I'm an, I'm an introvert. So, of course, this is how I do things. Everybody get away from me for a few minutes. I've got to get over here, get inside my own head, work on where I am, what's going down, get my wheels going, get away. And it came to me. What the hell am I doing here? <laughs> it, it finally dawned on me that this was an important question. What can I accomplish with this circumstance? It came clear to me that obviously these guys are not having me on the show so that they can let me say what libertarianism is and how much good it is for people and how it applies to the different issues, get that information out and share these views and try to make something productive of it. They want to put on an entertainment which is them beating up on me. What can I accomplish? This is early in the 1984 presidential campaign. And I said, my, one thing that I can accomplish is to represent the Libertarian Party as its presidential candidate as a guy who can stand up to tough treatment and isn't going to take any crap and can make a point or two himself under tough circumstances. And that's what I set out to do. And I did. I don't, how many have seen that tape? Yeah, I have. You did. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> and from then on, every time I was going to go on a show, I'd always back off and say, remember now, what am I here to accomplish? And depending on the circumstances, that decision will be a little different. But it's, it's up to you to decide when you're going to do these things, what you've got to work with, what results you want, and to go in there and do the job that you can do as intelligent, well-informed, well-prepared, well-prepared advocates of self-government. Thank you for listening to our presentation. If you would like a catalog of training tools and materials to help you gain confidence as a communicator of the freedom philosophy, please write or call. You can reach the Advocates toll-free at 800-932-1776, or in California, please call 209-292-1776. Or you may write to us at 5533 East Swift, Fresno, California, 93727. All contributions to the Advocates are tax-deductible. This recording was made by Jim Turney of Liberty Audio, Richmond, Virginia, and David Robison of The Advocates. This is Marshall Fritz, and I'd like to end this tape with a quotation from Bernard Baruch. The ability to express an idea is well nigh as important as the idea itself. Thank you. Uh, this is Marshall Fritz with uh, an afterthought. If you're preparing to go on a radio or TV or some other uh, public format and would like to uh, be able to have your listeners uh, write or call for more information about the libertarian movement, uh, you can give the uh, name of the advocates and mention that we are a libertarian uh, outreach information group. Our ad you mention our address and the 800 number that you just heard. Uh, probably a good idea to give us a ring and tell us that you're doing that. Uh, sometimes these 800 numbers change, but... but uh, Go ahead and call us and see if uh, see if it's okay. It probably is. Thank you for listening.